The Daily Demon is one of the internet's longest continuous running blogs. It has entered the podcast arena with its weekly audio recording. Every week, listeners will hear further commentary on that week's blog posts and articles. Like the blog, commentary will touch on a variety of topics. Current events, philosophy, theology, history, drinking, other podcasts, pretty much anything I think listeners might enjoy. Everything will be presented from a Catholic perspective, albeit my stained version of it. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the August 19th edition of the Weekly Demon. Unfortunately, we got to talk about priestly uh, priestly sex abuse. Uh, What an awful topic. I think I raised some eyebrows with my harsh criticism of Virtus. That was a program, for those who aren't aware, that, that was a program that came out of the 2002 Excuse me, 2002 uh, Dallas Conference of Bishops and Cardinals. And Virtus is basically training for lay people that basically said um, the clergy committed the sexual abuse, therefore the laity has to undergo training. Now, I did the training um, because if you don't do it, you're not allowed to participate in any youth functions at your kid's parochial school or Sunday school. And I've done a lot with the. Uh, Catholic youth in my community. Good stuff with the Catholic youth in my community. Um, wholesome stuff. Um, it, but it, 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 the training is really not that bad. Uh, basically, it's, just, it's, it's creating an army of spies, an army of eyes to see um, either lay people or more particularly priests who are going to be um, abusing youth sexual abuse and youth and signs to look for. That's kind of what, what that's about. But still, it, it doesn't change the fact that they're basically forcing innocent people like me and the laity, which were largely innocent, um, is almost exclusively a clerical thing. Um, they're basically making us take time out of our week to, to, to go there for the training. And most of us, are, you know, if you have kids, you're very busy. Then on, on top of that, they pass all sorts of ridiculous rules. So if you're on my blog, I was talking about an instance where I was asked, would I be willing to meet with my son, Jack, and some of his athlete friends at the local coffee shop, which is a right, right smack dab at the crossroads of my small town, highly trafficked coffee shop, very popular. And I was told, no, another adult had to be with me to meet with these four guys. Now, any one of these four boys could, if we got in a full flat out brawl, it'd probably be a draw. I mean, I might have my old man strength, um, but they'd have 30 years on me and they're all about my size or bigger. Um, and four of them together, all of them are about as homophobic as I am. And it's just like, it's, it's just absolutely absurd. But I said, fine. I said, my wife will go with me. And they said, oh, it can't be your wife. It has to be a second adult. <laughs> and I was just like, tell you what, there, there's, there's a bar down the street. I'm just going to go there instead and drink by myself. Um, I just pretty much gave up work trying to work with the youth. Now I talk to twenty somethings. I don't need to be furthest trained, and they're, they're I guess they're not as easy to sodomize. I guess anyway. So I don't I don't work with the youth at all anymore, just for that reason. But you know, it's really bizarre. Going back to my original point, they pinpointed the lady and made the lady go through all sorts of crap because of the clerical abuse. And I begin to think that's maybe a uniquely Italian thing. And it reminds me of in Goodfellas, when Henry Hill was in high school, like a freshman or sophomore, he's working at the cab stand, um, running numbers and stuff, and he stopped going to school. His dad gets a letter from the truant officer 
said he hadn't been in school in months and his dad just beat him. He had a black eye and everything. And so Henry Hill went to this boss, you know, that the mafia and said, I, I can't make any more deliveries. I, I go back to school. My, my dad's beating the hell out of me. So instead of, you know, first reaction is what are they going to beat up the kid's dad? And, but the mafia, they don't, they don't do that. They're traditionalists, you know, dad's the dad and he's the king of his house. So they went and found the mailman who had done nothing wrong whatsoever, kind of divert his training. The mailman did nothing wrong. They grabbed the mailman and they go and have a, a polite talk with them. And I think I got the audio right here if you want to listen to it. You know this kid? Yeah. You know where he lives? Yeah. Deliver mail to his house? Yeah. Well, from now on, any letter from that school to that kid's house comes directly here. You understand? Yeah. Another letter from that school goes to that kid's house. In the fucking open, you're going to go ahead first. That was it. No more letters from truant officers. No more letters from school. In fact, no more letters from anybody. You know, you know, it's effective. So the mailman was innocent, just doing his job. The lady hadn't been sodomizing boys. Um, but they made us become the, the eyes and ears punished us, like they punished this postman um, to go out, you know, to try to stop, stop something. And I guess it's effective. I guess I can't say no. It's just, it's just, it's just kind of perverse. Um, it'd be kind of like if you have some trucks on the road that are, are emitting some awful pollutants. And instead of going after them, um, you just tell everyone they got to pay 50 cents to put something on their exhaust system that will help purify the air. So they make everyone else uh, purify the air, spend 50 cents to purify the air, even though no one else had caused a problem. It's just this handful of trucks. Yeah, I wonder if it's just like a uniquely, uh, you know, mafia type thing or Italian type thing. And I guess as long as I'm on the sex abuse thing, I guess I need to talk about married clergy. You know, there's a gut reaction among many people that if you had married priests, this wouldn't happen. Um, I don't buy it. it. It does, I will admit, it does have a ring of plausibility to it. And my gut reaction says it's, you know, it's accurate enough. Um, and by the way, for those who don't know it, uh, yeah, there could be married clergy. We do have married clergy in the Catholic Church already. Um, if certain religions like Episcopalians or Lutherans, if those pastors are married and they become priests, they keep their wives. Um course if their wives die they can't remarry you can't be hitting the singles bars as a priest you know trying to pick up chicks um but you can't be married so we do have married clergy right now already but yeah i i just don't buy the idea that married priests uh would would make a difference and i say that for two reasons um first off statistically it's just not borne out right now the incidence of uh minor sexual abuse uh by married Protestant clergy far, far, far exceeds what's going on in the Catholic Church and has for over 20 years now. Um, and I think even during the height of the sex abuse stuff in the 80s and 90s, I don't think it was like night and day. I, I, I don't know, to be honest with you, but I think they're fairly comparable. Um, and I know even among those times, um, sexual misconduct by married Protestant clergy exceeded the sexual misconduct by Catholic clergy. You know, when you look at everything, you know, we were talking adultery, you know, everything. Um, that's been a fact for years. So if you're married, that's no guarantee that you're not going to commit infidelity. Also, I mean, I mean, quite frankly, as a, as a married man who's had seven kids, you know, after my wife gives birth, there's a prolonged period of abstinence, uh, quite a while, actually. And 
I'm reasonably certain um, I passed those periods with, with flying colors without sodomizing any of the little boys in my neighborhood. Um, just, they weren't running for the doors every time I walked outside, to the best of my knowledge. Um, so I've, I've, you know, I've, I've kind of, you know, I've had to go through it, um, you know, periodic, uh, periods of celibacy. And it's just, it's just not a big deal. And if you're, if you're called to that type of life, um, it's, it's, it's just something you master. And to think that a man who is not homosexual is going to then act out in homosexual ways because he doesn't have a female. I mean, I just, I just don't get it. I, I understand prison populations, but I think that's a whole different ball of wax, you know, where guys who are not gay engage in sexual activity. That's more of a, I think, a power type relationship. I'm, I'm, thankfully, I'm not an expert in that area. But yeah, I just, I just don't buy the whole married clergy thing. I, I think it's worth discussing. I don't think it's absurd. I just don't buy it. All right, let's get off that gosh awful subject. I want to go back and talk a little bit more about Frank Chodorov and the Rise and Fall Society and Albert J. Nock and a uh, German historian slash sociologist named Franz Oppenheimer. You know, I recommended the Rise and Fall Society in the last podcast. And again, it's a great book. I won't get into it again. But there's one thing that's a little bit troubling. The whole premise of that book, and I don't exaggerate, but it's... I think, yeah, the whole premise is Franz Oppenheimer's study of um, primordial states. And his whole premise was, based on his studies, was that every early state existed by conquering someone else. So you have an agricultural society, and then you have a bunch of, a, a bunch of warriors descend on there. They take all the stuff. They take the good-looking women, whatever. Um, and, then they, and then they leave. Later on, they come back. And they stay and basically say, well, we're just going to subjugate you. So you just keep growing your food. You ship it up to us and we won't come kill you. We'll let you be, but you got to keep paying us. And the premise that Oppenheimer taught that Nock, Albert J. Nock accepted in Chodorov, you know, agreed with Nock, he is his disciple. The premise was like, that is the state. Whenever you have a ruling class that takes from the lower class or from the, the subjugated class, then you have the state. Uh, so basically, um, government always exists. I, I consider myself an anarchist, but that's really kind of absurd because no matter where you are, if you have like more than three people, some sort of government's going to arise voluntarily or otherwise. Um, so I just, I just, I believe in anarchism as an ideal, but I just don't believe that anarchism can ever really exist if you're in society. And since we're meant to be in society, there's always going to be some sort of government, but, but anyway, um, but government basically becomes the state when there is a ruling class. That part of um, Chodorov and Knox's argument, um, I think, holds, um, even though the premise itself is questionable. And here's why. And I just read this recently. Um, the state, if you have a state taking over another group, another state, so to speak, that state had to have grown from somewhere. So, you know, that's that marauding state, the one that came and subjugated these this air, this agricultural class, where did where that state come from? It must have grown organically, not necessarily by conquest. And, and to think about it, it's not necessarily true. You could see how maybe you become a state um, even without organic growth from within. But but again, it's a good point, and a lot of historians have questioned Oppenheimer's conclusion. But I still think the 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 conclusion holds 
yes, you can have a, a government that grows probably bigger than it ought to be, but it probably doesn't transform from government, which is a good thing, to the state, which is a terrible thing, until you have this ruling elite. And that's why a lot of times if you start getting into libertarian thought, you'll have libertarians, myself included, you really hammer on the idea of the ruling elite, you know, which which if you read the Daily Demon, you know, I'm hammering on things like um, the federal government, especially to some extent state governments, uh, not local government, um, media, colleges, universities, healthcare, insurance companies, Wall Street, Hollywood. Those are like the ruling elite. And they're basically able, kind of like in uh, Hunger Games, you know, with the capital, Panem, they're able to extract from the outer districts into the inner districts. I mean, if you look at the growth of Washington, I mean, look like what's, what's the wealthiest per capita area in the United States? It's, I believe it's North, North Virginia. It's like, why? I mean, they have a aircraft company there, but that, that's about it. Why is it so wealthy? Well, it's because they're sucking money from the hinterlands into Washington, D.C. Um, we clearly have what you'd call a state or what the, the classic libertarians would call a state. And it's, it's, it's a very bad thing because it was, there is a ruling class that dominates over the ruled class. This is also, and this is something I never really got from my, a lot of my Catholic friends who hate libertarians. I don't, I don't get that, but, but they do. Um, they love GK Chesterton, but they don't really focus on one of GK Chesterton's most memorable characters, which were Hudge and Gudge, which is Chesterton and Belloc, uh, railing, Heller Belloc, by the way, railing against big business and big government combining to beat up the little guy. And to me, that's at the heart and soul of libertarianism, at least as I practice it, is like I'm sick and tired of this ruling elite basically passing all sorts of benefits from themselves, like Wall Street bonuses in 2008, 2009 to quote unquote bail out the economy, even though then these the people who caused the, the overall crisis, they got huge bonuses, you know, from the bailout. It's just, it's just shocking. And then they further extrapolate money from the middle class to give to the poor people and, and welfare benefits to get the votes they need to perpetuate the status or the, you know, uh, the wealth flowing to the upper classes through the federal reserve and other, and other mechanisms. And again, it's not a conspiracy theory. It's, it's nothing like that. It's, it's just, in my opinion, it's just reality. Um, it's just the way things are set up here, and and that's and that's what I think. Reading things like Albert J. Nock and Frank Chodorov, I think try to get you to start seeing that. And even if you don't agree with that, just to start seeing the arguments and the concerns they raise, I think are very helpful. Okay, real brief. I'm going to do you a solid. If you ever get around to it, try to download some Ricky Nelson. Later in his career, after he is well past his prime, he did some real neat studio work. Check out this short excerpt of Dream Lover by Bobby Darren. Every night I hope and pray A dream lover will come my way A girl to hold in my arms And feel the magic of her charms Because I want someone my own I want a dream lover So I don't have to dream alone Yeah, so check it out if you get a chance. 
On Thursday, I made reference to, I think, the twisted sexual practice of tantric Buddhism. I probably shouldn't make such references without flushing them out a little bit, but the Daily Demon is a blog, so there's only so much I can put into a blog. Let me try to explain what that is. Well, first off, tantric Buddhism, um, what I'm basically referring to by there is just uh, basically orgy. Just think of the most degenerate sex acts you can. Don't think too long. I don't want to send you to confession. Um, and that's tantric Buddhism, or at least part of it. Um, but you know, what makes it possible? Because you know, most Buddhists don't practice that type of Buddhism. Um, most of them are, you know, just ordinary people or, or virtuous. I, well, by the way, uh, a lot of, I have a lot of respect for Buddhism. If you didn't know that, so by ripping on tantric Buddhism, don't don't um, don't take that the wrong way. Anyway, I think it's I think it's fascinating where it comes from, though. So I'm going to explain it here real, real quick, as quickly as I can. Hinduism is steeped in a metaphysical error known as monistic, um, or monism, rather, or ontological monism. And the, the, the premise there is basically everything is just one. So it's, it's hard to explain, but just think of like if the whole universe was just a chair. There is nothing in the universe but the chair. Well, you wouldn't even call that a chair because when you call something a chair, all you're doing is distinguishing that chair from the table or the floor or from yourself or from that cat. But there's only one thing in the whole universe to call it anything wouldn't make sense. So that and that's their belief. Their belief is in Hinduism, everything is just one thing. And whenever you call something like a chair or you, me, whatever, you're kind of engaged in, a, in, a, in a, an illusion, maya. So take that a step further. So now if, if there's only one thing um, and to call something else, to call something something else is to distinguish from something else and therefore to be caught into an illusion, to call something good or bad is to basically dis distinguish from something else. If, if everything is just one, there's no good and bad, that, that would imply there's a good thing and a bad thing. And there is no such thing as a good thing and a bad thing. It's just it, you know, just one thing. Um, so if there's if there's no, like, what they call dualism, no good and no bad, you can't call anything good because by calling something good, you're, making, you're saying something else is bad. By calling something bad, you're saying something else is good by comparison. And there can be no comparison in ontological monism. So tantric Buddhism basically just takes that one step further and says, well, there is no good and there's no bad. Therefore, there's no limit as to what you can do to say this is degenerate and that's not degenerate would just be itself caught in an illusion. And the practitioner of tantric Buddhism basically just play that out you know, with their sex organs. That's it for this week's episode. For further commentary, please go to thedailyudemon.com where you can leave comments and find other information. We also have a Facebook page and a Twitter page. We look forward to hearing from you.